0: Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: You're with Chris Smith
0: on today's News Talk Radio,
1: TNT. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. Welcome to the final program for 2023. How did we get here so quickly? It was the middle of the year, only a few days ago. Can't believe it. And it's been a busy year. So we're all looking forward to a break. I know I am. um, But then again, looking forward to 2024 as well. But no letting up for Christmas today. No, you're not going to get off that easily because we have some big fish to fry. There's so much happening. It's a busy news day. You've got the mass murder of students in Prague, which we've been covering on our news bulletin, the breakdown of hostage talks in the middle east to the fallout from that gobsmacking colorado kangaroo court and the ban against donald trump and the incredible story of the longest known wrongful jail sentence in u.s history that is a an incredible story and a massive news day our special guest today is lecturer and researcher in geopolitics Stuart hooper and it's a very good week to have him on the program. We'll discuss the scale of destruction in Gaza, which ranks among the most destructive in military history. Ukraine is facing one last very difficult hurdle to gain membership of NATO, and it's got nothing to do with Russia. Nothing to do with Russia. Plus, on the eve of the Taiwan election, tensions have spiked between the US and China. To Stuart Hooper this hour on the show. Now, still on the developing situation in the Middle East, another regional terror group, Hezbollah, has stepped up its attacks against Israeli assets. And it looks as if hostage talks have collapsed yet again. Former Army Intelligence Officer Shane Healy will unpack what's happening on the ground and in the region when we catch up with him next hour. And from down under, the Libertarian MP from New South Wales is back. Yes, John Ruddick. Uh, We didn't hear from him two weeks ago because he was midair heading to Buenos Aires, and now uh, we didn't hear from him last week because he was returning from those festivities to inaugurate the new president. And now we've got him back. We'll talk to him about the Argentinian Presidente. We'll also talk about the Colorado Kangaroo Court. We must do that. And in this era of global boiling, how is it, if someone could tell me, how is it that we have recorded winter temperatures beyond what has ever been recorded before in China? Global boiling? Boiling where? Global freezing? Yeah. Uh, John Ruddick, returning to the airwaves next hour on the show. Let's dive into what we have, which is a very busy program. Uh, you're with Chris Smith, broadcasting live on the Global News Talk Network, TNTradio.live. Keeping the commitment
0: 24-7. I've been in the car all day, and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Well, this week's news has been dominated by the plainly undemocratic ruling from the Colorado Supreme Court banning Donald Trump for running in the primary ballot for next year's presidential election. Now, the fact that four of seven seemingly eminent judges deemed it just a given that they found Trump responsible for insurrection when no other court had. In order to strike him from the ballot, I'm sorry, it's a shameful episode in American justice, and I had my say on that yesterday on the show. Or is it just a reminder for all of us that when you have fallible human beings on the bench, mistakes and bias can crucify any one of us unfairly? I think that is the lesson we can learn, which brings me to the story of Glyn Simmons. Listen to this. An Oklahoma judge has exonerated Glyn Simmons, who spent 48 years in prison for a murder he did not commit, the longest known wrongful sentence in US history. He's age 70 now, 70, been there almost 50 years. That's the entire life, adult life of one man. He was freed in July after a district court found that crucial evidence in this case was not turned over to his defence lawyers. Now this week, a county district attorney said there was not enough evidence to warrant a new trial. This passage of his life is now shut. But what a cost, what a cost. In an order on Tuesday, Judge Amy Palumbo declared Mr. Simmons innocent. She stated, this court finds by clear and convincing evidence that the offence for which Mr. Simmons was convicted, sentenced and imprisoned was not committed by him. This is what his lawyer had to say.
0: He had 50 years stolen from him, the prime of his work life when he could have been getting experiences, um, developing skills that was taken from him uh, by no fault of his own.
1: Wow, what a stark reminder that the judiciary does get it wrong, that the truth is often too hard to prove when those with bias intent choose to avoid it. And that's what happened in his case, and that's what's happened in Colorado. They chose to avoid any evidence that exists of his insurrection, Donald Trump. It doesn't exist. There has been no finding against him on that score. And that is the lesson we take from the case in Colorado and of Glenn Simmons. In fact, 2023 has been a year for major lessons, I think. I can't believe that this is our last program together. And I wanted to kick off the program today to touch on what we've achieved and what we're heading into in 2024. This is going to be, and I've had discussions about this with many of my colleagues, next year is likely to be the greatest year for news ever. Um, you think about it. Now, here at TNT Radio, you We've done a lot behind the scenes to get this particular radio network up to scratch. The year has been made up of some major work. We're now video streaming. The capabilities of video streaming are enormous for us. We've improved our reliability and versatility on the internet. Uh, We've got 35 hosts from around the globe. Um, which is one hell of a thing to organise. And I should give credit to our founder and our CEO, Mike Ryan from TNT Radio and his team, led by Jennifer Squires who've worked tirelessly to get TNT Radio to where it is right now. And it all goes well for next year, because I am convinced it will be a breakthrough year for this station during a year of enormous news and breaking, developing stories. Um, TNT is now ready to step up for what will be a massive 2024. You've got the wars in the Middle East and Eastern Europe. That will require continued analysis. Will we see Ukraine come to the negotiating table? The fighting in Gaza may come to an end in the first part of next year. But who and which force leads the Palestinians into some kind of new era? And how long will it take to rebuild a completely flattened Gaza Strip? That won't be so easy. Uh, the conspired prosecution of Donald Trump has many more headlines attached to it. Uh, he'll beat some of the charges, but will he survive the January 6 indictment and avoid prison? There's the presidential election to determine who becomes the 48th president of the US. How will Americans choose between two elderly candidates who both have their own set of baggage? And in the UK, the Tories are likely to be kicked out of government as well next year. And then this unknown Keir Starmer will become, well, at at least within a year, a household name. Australia too might go to the polls early. There's that story to cover. Uh, There's an Olympic Games in Paris in 2024. The United States and West Indies will host a World Cup of T20 cricket for the very first time. Uh, Even Australia's rugby league game will be played in Las Vegas in the early part of 2024. There's a cultural sporting experiment for you. Plus, we'll have transgender court cases destined to reach conclusion in the early part of next year and hopefully some common sense on that score. Global boiling may become planet frying by year's end. You never know what the UN likely to do. So it's shaping up as a massive news year with plenty of issues like cancel culture. There's plenty of wokeism to cover, global control, deep state sabotage and identity politics. And if you'd like to push back with all of us on these subjects, this is the place to come. I cannot think of any other place on the planet in terms of visual radio than this place, 24-7. Um, and I'd like to be here with you next year and lead you through what will be a maze of drama and political dysfunction. Um, and I think there's something exciting about this particular network covering these bigger stories of our time. So hopefully you feel the same way and you can spread the word over Christmas during your break to let people know what you've found here. And we look forward to sharing 2024 with you. But one final program to come, That comes now on TNT Radio. Jeremy
0: Nell on TNT Radio. Being South African, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I?
2: Yes, um, since the dawn of democracy in
1: South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second daily. Um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, but over the last few months, both those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders.
0: Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform, that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually 9 out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live.
2: I want to say this, and I'm going to say it just once.
0: This is today's
1: News Talk Radio, TNT. Just a little bit more information on what's happening in Prague, and it's important that we get across this story because it is leading news bulletins worldwide so at least 15 people have been killed during the shooting rampage in the Czech Republic on Thursday including 14 people at Charles University in Prague and the suspect's father was also killed apparently he was killed before the others according to authorities 24 other people are have survived but are wounded from the university shooting According to Interpol police, the gunman, a 24-year-old student in world history at Charles University, also killed himself after the spree in central Prague. Uh, He first killed his father in their family home in the town of Kladno outside of Prague. The police partly identified the assailant as David Kay. Now, this happens in some countries in Europe quite often. European police officials often give only a first name and then a last initial for privacy reasons, because uh, the deceased's family uh, in its entirety have not been informed. But speaking at a news conference in Prague, the chief of the National Police Force said the assailant got inspired by a similar terrible event abroad. Now, when asked at the press conference by the waiting media what event that was, he did not specify what or where. Um, So that is still up in the air. I'm sure that kind of detail will be forthcoming in the next 24 hours. But authorities said they did not believe that the gunman's actions were connected to international terrorism, not connected to international terrorism. So there's a a headline story from Europe as well. Russell from uh, North Dakota in Fargo, North Dakota. Hello, Russell. Thank you very much for the email, and we appreciate it. It says, for a kid that grew up on the prairie in North Dakota, I went into the Air Force and I studied at Oxford. I'm a communicator. I would like to say I love TNT. Well said, Russell. We love to hear that. Uh, we never had anything like this when I was growing up. This is fantastic. He mentions me, Chris Smith, Rick Munn, Mark Murano I could go on and on. Uh, you guys are great. How good's that? What a great little... Pre-Christmas present. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. This is TNT Radio. I want to turn to the Middle East right now. According to expert analysis of uh, Copernicus Sentinel-1 satellite data, Israel's offensive since the October Hamas attacks has destroyed over two-thirds of all structures in northern Gaza. Two-thirds. And a quarter of buildings in the southern area of Khan Yunus. Israel's military campaign in Gaza ranks among the most destructive in military history. That's purely structural, of course, and not taking into account the 20-odd thousand human lives killed in the bombing. My next guest will discuss this and more. Stuart J. Hooper is a lecturer in political science and PhD researcher. He studies the military industrial complex, elites, War and Globalism, is published on numerous news websites and in academic journals, and provides regular commentary on foreign policy news on his YouTube channel and also his ex-profile. Stuart joins us live from Lawton, Oklahoma. Stuart Hooper, welcome to TNT Radio once again.
2: Thanks a lot, Chris. Really appreciate the invite to come back and uh, lots to discuss, as always, involving geopolitics. Yeah,
1: very true, and a good week to have you on. What does this analysis of satellite data tell us about the destruction in Gaza, and how does the destruction compare, say, with other military campaigns, you know, pick your war, let's say World War II?
2: Yeah, so what um, the current analysis is showing is that unfortunately israel has opened a can of worms here unlike i think anyone is really prepared to deal with um so the analysis and i think that was in the uh ap article that i sent on to your uh, producer is currently showing that on average the level of destruction is currently worse than it was in Germany in some instances in World War II. So this means that what Israel is currently doing is unleashing a bombing campaign that the world has really not seen anything like this in a very long time. And the extent of the destruction here is really, again, a can of worms that I don't think Israel has any idea of how it's going to put this all back together, how it's going to put the lid back on the can of worms, so to speak. Um, because where. Are all of these people going to go? Where are these 2.2 million people going to um return to? Are they going to be able to return to northern Gaza? Because as things have currently been standing, the answer to that question is no, they have not been allowed to return north. Um, when they tried to do this during the first uh pause, not really a ceasefire, but a pause in the fighting. Um, people were shot at by snipers. Um, so they've been um Not allowed to return to their homes. And when they do get back there now, what we're seeing with these numbers is that there really isn't going to be a lot left for them to go back to. And I think also when you look at these numbers and this type of destruction, we can very quickly in the West jump to the idea of, well, our house burned down or something like this, and there's a disaster. Well, you go and see family or friends to help. Well, in this case, all of your family and friends are in exactly the same situation. And not only has your house been destroyed, but everything else has been destroyed as well. All of the resources that you need to structure a society have also been destroyed, um, completely obliterated. Now, what is going to happen with this? How are we going to solve this problem? This is now the big question. Egypt does not want to open its border to the Palestinians because it strongly believes that if it lets these people in, Israel is not going to let them back Mm. into Gaza um, at any point in the future. And at this point, I think that probably is an accurate assessment by the Egyptians. Um, We've also had multiple uh, instances of trying to bring about a two-state solution. Well, what has happened to that? We've had the um, Israeli ambassador to the United Kingdom over this past week come out and say that there can be no two-state solution. Well then what the hell are you going to do? What 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 is the plan here? Because the current way of thinking for the Israeli government from my analysis and from others that I've heard and paid attention to is that Netanyahu wants this war, this conflict to continue for as long as humanly possible. So then this puts off having the discussion of, well, how the hell did we let this happen in the first place? What what, what led up to October the 7th in the first place? What allowed that to happen? Because that's going to open some really nasty political doors for Netanyahu himself, but he can keep that question, he can kick that can down the road um, as long as the war continues to play out. So we could now be seeing that Netanyahu's political career is dependent upon the extent to which he can destroy Gaza, which is a truly Machiavellian equation. You're not wrong, (laughs) a very
1: Machiavellian equation. Okay, I get the, the distinct impression that because I've read so many stories about what now, I get the feeling that there's a leadership void in the world right now. There's no one standing up, whether it's Macron or Biden or Rishi Sunak, there's no one standing up and saying, this is the way forward come to my country now, we are going to set a plan in place. No matter what the outcome is on the ground, this is where we're starting. This is where we're keeping these Palestinians and this is how we're going to rebuild. There's no one taking the reins. It's almost as if, you know, the weaker the United
2: States is, the less guidance there is for the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean, that that really is just an excellent observation because that conclusion that you've reached goes far beyond even just Europe Um, the US isn't giving a a solution to this the UK France any of these big Western European players that you might expect but also China isn't really offering a solution here. India isn't offering a solution. Any of the BRICS countries are not offering a solution here. Nobody is. Now, this, I think, is something to do with the unfortunate fate of the Palestinian people themselves. They have been a political tool, a political football that gets kicked around by um, whichever side uses them for their politically opportune moment. And the Arab states have tended to do this again and again and again. And again, the Arab states, where's a solution there? We have the Yemenis, of course, who we will be coming to talk about today um, in some detail. Um, But again, even what they're doing, just launching cruise missiles over the Middle East into, into Israel, or attempting to do that at least, that isn't really a long-term solution either so where is the long-term solution who is going to be the the real global leader on this issue
1: yeah do you see the prospect of some kind of semi-permanent temporary scenario of tent cities being set up in the west you know parts of the west bank and also gaza where palestinians reside somehow live temporarily until
2: the gaza strip is rebuilt Absolutely. And that is going to be um, also a humanitarian catastrophe. I mean, tense cities. These are not places that you want to live. Uh, Mm. We're talking tremendously bad sanitation and hygiene, um, just basic things that, again, in the Western world, we just take all of this stuff for granted. Um, That you can go to the toilet in a toilet, that you can wash your hands, that you have access to clean water, that there are sewage systems. Again, the structure of a civilization none of that stuff exists in these sorts of um these temporary refugee camps i mean they do their best but as a long-term solution this is not it either um so i think we again really need some global player or collection of global players to step up and, and do something about this and offer a solution of some kind the problem of course though is that well if those people are trapped there in the gaza strip which they are and israel isn't letting them out egypt isn't letting them out well, how does this external force get into Gaza in the first place? That also becomes a practical problem as well, um, because Israel isn't going to want to allow that. Um, Netanyahu has said things uh, along the lines of, well, Israel is going to have to take some direct control of the Gaza Strip for the foreseeable future. Well, again, good luck with that. I think the current official number is that they have over 100 dead soldiers that have gone into the Gaza Strip at this point. Well, guess what? That number is only going to continue to tick up and up and up for as long as you stay in there. Um, And this military action is certainly not doing anything to dissuade those of a, a mindset that supports military resistance. It's doing quite the opposite. Mm. Let's talk about a possible
1: ceasefire again. And there are so many tangents to that word uh, right now, it's not funny. But let's start with Jerusalem's Deputy Mayor, Fleur Hassan Nahum. She was interviewed by LBC's Nick Ferrari earlier this week. Have a listen to her comment on the proposed ceasefire.
3: If a ceasefire means the return of the hostages and the dismantlement of a genocidal regime that has stated that they're going to attack us again, then everybody would be in favor of a ceasefire. But if a ceasefire means that we're just going to keep them quiet for a bit until they attack again, then it's Israel's obligation to defend its citizens and destroy that threat, don't you think?
1: Why is it necessary, it is reported, to start shooting, having snipers outside a church?
3: I don't. I saw the report this morning. Um, the church. There are no churches in Gaza, so I'm not quite sure where the report well, is, there, is is, is talking a, there's about. There's a
2: Catholic church in there, isn't there? That is. Yeah. Unfortunately,
3: ins- there are no Christians because they were drove dr- driven out by. Well, there some are.
1: Persons. Respectfully, uh, there are Christians because I spoke to an MP yesterday who has family members in the church who are Christians.
3: Well, I don't uh, know what happened. I don't wrong. know who was attacked. I didn't see the report
1: her comment Stuart, that there were no christians has come back to bite her, hasn't it
2: yeah i mean this is just uh what israel apparently seems to be doing right now is rolling out people um that have this oxford english dialect and they can have this very queens english sort of approach to talking but unfortunately they don't uh, appear to have uh, the intellect in some cases to go along with the the uh let's say the the methodology of their um of their actual speaking <laughs> to say the least um so we have some some issues here uh, some big ones and primarily yes so the 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 idea that there are no Christians in Gaza is, again, a complete lie. There have been Christians in this region, of course, for thousands of years, churches in this region for thousands of years, um, and <clears throat> through um, a large swath of the Ottoman Empire's history, most of these different groups actually existed in relative harmony with one another.
1: Yeah, um, a, a, as is-, is the case on the other side. You can you can find easily, and I know that I've read stories and Ah, uh, seen interviews with Islamic Palestinians
2: who live in Israel as well. yep, absolutely right. Um, there are there are all of these different people that live in this one particular place. Um, the Middle East is an immensely diverse region with lots of different interest groups dotted all around now after world war ii of course the world decided that self-determination was going to be the guiding light of global politics and that each individual group would be able to have its own self-determined future Well, what happens when some of those groups start showing up in places that are not so favourable to the, quote, international community? Uh, Well, then uh, we run into problems, as we see with the Palestinians, the Kurds, and other minority groups all around the world um, that have not really fallen in line with the status quo, um, let's say. Um, But yeah, this has become a a big problem uh, for Israel, for its spokespeople, um, and the, the fact that they're having to roll out arguments like this it it. i think it shows a level of desperation and it shows that they know that this is going badly in terms of optics and public opinion and how this is going to go over with world um, public opinion because you can see it right now on Twitter on X there is absolutely a rise in anti-semitic bile on X I mean it's really disgusting stuff um, and what does it all have its root cause in what is currently going on right now and there are a lot of opportunistic people out there extremists that are jumping on this and using it to push their anti anti-Semitic agendas, which are um, sick, for want of a better word. Um, But there's also legitimate questions to be had of the Israeli government, and they have just been swept up in anti-Semitism. But that's really not what all of this is. Yes, some of that's out there, but that's not what all of this other genuine critique of Israeli foreign policy right now actually is. So there's there's a big, again, a big set of issues here that are opening up a wide chasm for the Israelis to now try and deal with. And I don't think Netanyahu um, particularly cares how to deal with this because, again, he's going to be on the way out soon after this all does come to an end. Uh, he'll go off and live out the rest of his days and it's going to be somebody else's job to fix it. So, that, again, that's for um, the Israelis to figure out. And Israel also is not going anywhere, right? I think there's like six million people in Israel, something like that, six to nine million people. So the state of Israel is not going anywhere. It's going to be an an entity. It's going to exist. So how do we craft a world where that thing can exist with these other entities that also do exist, like the Palestinian people, like Christians in Gaza, right? There has to be some solution to this. It has to be a long-term solution. It has to be serious. um, And we need it sooner rather than later. That is the unsolvable perpetual question
1: about the Middle East. We'll come back in just a second. I need to pause for news, Stuart, but we'll come back and talk a little bit further about the idea of a ceasefire. Hamas's version of ceasefire is uh, a forever, eternal ceasefire. Israel won't have it. We'll talk about that and what's happening in the Pacific as well as Taiwan gets very, very close to its general election. Stuart Hooper is my guest. We'll come back and resume our chat with him shortly after some news on TNT Radio. We interrupt this program. Here we go. This
4: huge, huge, huge
1: news, huge, 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 huge news, huge. You need to listen to this. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Oylund here with a look at your TNT headlines. Over a dozen people have been killed and more than 20 others wounded in a mass shooting at a university in the Czech Republic. Former US President Donald Trump has accused the White House of waging war on Christians and is bound to end it if he's re-elected next year. President Joe Biden has once again appeared lost and confused on stage. And Hamas has rejected another proposed temporary ceasefire in Gaza, saying it's only interested in ending the war.
0: On air and on the app.
1: I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen,
0: therefore I know. Today's news talk radio, TNT.
1: Stuart Hooper, we've got an impasse in terms of the negotiations currently underway for a ceasefire. Uh, Israel is prepared to create a ceasefire scenario similar to the first one in exchange for hostages and they're prepared to exchange some Palestinian prisoners. Hamas, by the sound of it, and they've been rather vocal about it, they want a permanent ceasefire and they want the release of an entire population of jailed Palestinians. What? what in few, I've got to say, and this is purely emotion, But what infuriates me is that the Hamas terror group can dangle in front of the rest of the world these hostages like as if they deserve to have them.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I from day one have condemned that as a terror attack and everything that's happened there has been a complete disaster on, on the Israeli side of all of this. And if you were an Israeli caught up in that... This has been absolutely horrendous, and you're right to be angry and upset about it. Um, but yes, what Hamas is currently doing now with the uh, the hostages is really using them um, as bait. And I think we actually discussed this a couple of weeks back that they deliberately have not released American hostages because mm-hmm. they know those American hostages are going to be more valuable in the grand scheme of things. Um, but there are numbers that I've now seen that Israel has imprisoned somewhere in the region of 3,000 Palestinians in the West Bank since all of this has been playing out as well. So these, again, are also numbers that um, are not really um, widely reported um, as some of the other numbers are going around. Um, and. Israel has a has a history of, of locking up children and there's all sorts of videos of kids being thrown into the back of uh, military vehicles and driven away so this is really is a disaster on all sides um but when you do think about hostages and human lives it's that's the really important thing to remember here these are real people yeah. um there are families involved here across the board and and this all again needs a real resolution um Hamas is clearly not the solution uh the Netanyahu government is clearly not the solution So I think both sides really need to clean house in terms of their leadership one way or another, Um, and they need to have a a, a new moment here.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Now, Houthi leader Abdel Malik al-Houthi warned on Wednesday that US warships and their multinational force will be attacked if Yemen's Houthis are attacked or targeted by Washington. How do you see this situation unfolding? Because I get um a nervous twitch thinking that this could be a gateway towards
2: a war between the US and Iran yes yeah, so that's that's important point number 1 um the houthi faction in iran is a shia based faction it emerged in the 1990s and it has been supported by iran on and off um throughout this whole period um and yes this could potentially mean that at some point you reach a scenario where the us turns around and says well Houthis just hit our warship, and where did that missile come from? It came from Iran, so we're going to go ahead and strike Iran. So now the U.S. is at war with Iran. Well, that's not a good scenario whatsoever because, as we can see, um, if Iran is capable of giving these weapons to a paramilitary force like the Houthis in Yemen, well, what do you think they have up their sleeve in Iran proper? That's not going to be a walk-in-the-park Iraq 2003-style war. That's going to be a technological, symmetrical, almost symmetrical, the US a bit above, right? But almost symmetrical fight between Iran and the US. Now, we've just had a symmetrical fight between the Russians and the Ukrainians. Both sides have the same technologies, and look what the hell has happened there complete meat grinder, complete destruction, hundreds of thousands of dead. And, oh, by the way, absolutely nothing to show for any of that. Mm. That is what we do not want in the Middle East. Um, But the Houthis, Yemen, um, they have been unleashing these things. We had the first ever instance of space-based warfare as a result of what the Houthis have done. They launched a ballistic missile that went up out of Earth's atmosphere, um, and we were intending this thing to come back down um, and hit Israel the Israelis actually managed to intercept this in outer space. So we really do have some new things that are going on here Um, and much wider scale things than just Palestine-Israel, right? We're going far beyond that. And the level of destruction and damage and potential for escalation is really unbridled.
1: Yeah, astonishing stuff. All right, let's go to Eastern Europe now. On Tuesday, Slovakia's Prime Minister... Robert Fico said his government will not agree to let Ukraine become a member of NATO, quote, because that would be the start of World War three. Do you think more European leaders will come to that position and is Slovakia correct and accurate in their summation?
2: So today, I mean technically, yes, if if Ukraine becomes a member of NATO, Ukraine is therefore currently under attack and what is NATO's rationale for existence uh well if an attack on one is an attack on all so if yeah. Ukraine is under attack that means all of them are under attack and all of them are then at war with Russia immediately right overnight practically um this again would be an extremely bad scenario and why i don't actually think this is going to happen um yes we're going to see some of these um, headlines and some of these leaders that are going to say some of these things but nato leadership itself i also don't think um, is suicidal um it might be saying things to ukraine it might be doing things under the table with ukraine but it's not gonna let ukraine proper become a member of NATO um, because it knows where that leads. It leads down a path to war with Russia.
1: Yeah. All right, let's skip from one continent to another, from Eastern Europe to the Pacific. Uh, As US-China tensions have risen the past few years, several US and Taiwanese officials have made alarming warnings that Beijing will launch an invasion of the island by 2027 and as early as 2025 potentially triggering a disastrous war between the two powers. Do you see a military
2: conflict as unavoidable? I mean, this is, a, a again, a big question for another region of the world. Um, I think it is... Avoidable, um, But it depends on, again, what, what does the U.S. want to do? Because it seems that the U.S. has tried to maintain itself in this position of primacy. It really wishes that it was still in the immediate post-Cold War world, a unipolar world where it's the U.S. on top and nobody can touch them and they can do whatever the hell they want. That's not the world that we live in anymore. So if the, the US is willing to allow China to have a sphere of influence, which it wants, which Russia wants, which Iran wants, which Israel wants, right? All of these major regional players want a sphere of influence. It really comes down to that. Is the US willing to allow China to have a sphere of influence or not? Mm. If not, well, then it's going to um, abide by these uh, agreements that it has with Taiwan. And it's it's perhaps going to end up getting militarily involved there um to a greater extent than it already is um but yeah i think it can be avoided Uh, i mean xi jinping has said various things on this but their main line view on this is that they want it to be done politically yes they want taiwan to be part of china but they want a political solution to that question they do not want a military solution and also i don't think it would be wise for china to Uncork the military bottle, let's say. Because what military experience does the Chinese military really have? I mean, not much. They've got some border skirmishes with the Indians, uh, a few other things that have kicked off here and there. But actual military experience in terms of a massive amphibious and aerial assault on an island the size of Taiwan, you're talking a massive military undertaking. I mean, once you, once you do that, you can't just roll that back. So they need to know that they're actually militarily prepared to do that. And I'm not sure that they currently are. Well, they've had no experience in 70 years, have they? Exactly.
1: Yeah. All right. On Tuesday, Manhattan-based US District Court judge uh, John Collettel ruled that four US nationals who visited Julian Assange at the Ecuadorian embassy in London can proceed with their lawsuit against the CIA in court. They claim their electronic devices were illegally searched on behalf of the agency when they visited the WikiLeaks founder at the embassy. Hey, I wonder whether the CIA is finally going to be in some trouble.
2: Yeah, this is a very interesting one. I had my uh, first academic journal article ever published on Julian Assange um, and his whole case. Um, And my argument was that the whole reason he is in the crosshairs of the American government is because he exposed that warfare cannot be used to spread peace and love and democracy. What it actually spreads is chaos and destruction and sows the seeds of the end of civilization, not the um, bringing about of civilization, but the end of it instead Um, So, yeah, we have uh, Assange here. We'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, he also apparently now has his hearing that's coming up. I think that's now scheduled for February. Yeah, late February. Yep. Yeah, February next year. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, We've seen the UK abstaining from its uh, vote on the ceasefire with Israel not saying no, but abstaining. Uh, So maybe a teeny tiny little bit of a break from the US. But will that be enough to prevent Assange being thrown under the bus? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we will have to wait and see.
1: Now, it is time, Stuart, for some geopolitical awards to mark the end of this mammoth 2023. Now, can you give an award
2: for the biggest surprise with geopolitical relevance, please? Absolutely, that's gonna go to Yemen. Uh, Yemen, Houthi-controlled Yemen is getting the award for the biggest surprise in geopolitical relevance. I mean, the the Yemenis, Houthis, they've been fighting back and forth with Saudi Arabia really since 2016. Um, But in terms of shutting down the Red Sea and turning all of global shipping in the opposite direction, nobody expected this when when the world kicked off this year. Um, This is a complete um, out-of-left-field accomplishment. For the for the Houthis, and, and right, it becomes is something- a,
1: such a terrible distraction for Israel and the United States mm-hmm. because you've got to send untold resources in
2: there to free up the Red Sea. Absolutely. So this is a, a, a sink on american military power um on israeli military focus and something that is not good for everyone it's not good for, for global shipping it's not good for the global economy inflation we've already been trying to battle inflation and now you're saying that well maybe goods can't arrive on time or there are going to be less goods than they were before well here comes inflation once again and this is coming out of one of the poorest nations on planet earth so shows you what a few cruise missiles sent in the uh, direction of some certain global players can end up doing, can have some really severe, dangerous, nasty consequences. Yeah, they might be poverty stricken, but they are um, very,
1: very clever. And that's exactly what they've proved to be. What's your award for the worst
2: geopolitical double cross of 2023? This has got to go to Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Wagner Group. Now, this was a, this was a huge, huge uh, deal over the summer, of course. We had Prigozhin leading his coup. He was putting out these video messages. We're going to Moscow. We're going on the march. We're going to take things back. And it was serious. Um, he was on the march. I mean, they had shut down bridges and roadways up near Moscow, trying to prevent them from getting there. Um, and I think he... Probably got on the phone with the wrong people. They convinced him that, hey, Putin will figure this out with you. You know, we're going to be able to resolve this. Please just go back to Ukraine. We'll give you what you need. We'll give you the resources to fight and all will be well and good. Uh, well, how did that turn out? Uh, the um, the infamous plane crash or the plane detonation, let's say. So, yeah, this was uh, not a good move um, on Prigozhin's part um, I think he would have actually had a legitimate shot of reaching Moscow um, if he had not again. And again, this is my assumption, got on the line with the wrong people in Moscow, in the Kremlin, um, or perhaps just found out he didn't have as much political support as he thought he did um, and turned around. I mean, there was no turning around from this. This was either you go and do it or you run and you go to somewhere in the Southern Hemisphere, never to be heard from again. But yeah, definitely worst geopolitical double-cross of 2023. Um, Somewhat of a a rarity in Western Europe. Um, You obviously get military coups all over the world that take place on a regular basis. But yeah, this one was significant. It was serious, and it really uh, shocked the Western world as well. Came out of left
1: field. I like those awards. They're very, very appropriate for a geopolitical analyst. Listen, thank you very much for your input through the latter part of 2023. We hope we can get you back on during 2024 because no doubt there'll be this and much more to deal with geopolitically. Thank you, Stuart, and have a great Christmas.
2: Thanks a lot, Chris. You too. Merry Christmas. And I really appreciate your time and having me on the show. It's been great to get to know you and uh, it's been awesome.
1: Excellent, mate. We love having you on the program. Thank you, Stuart. Much appreciated. Stuart J. Hooper, lecturer in political science and PhD researcher. Terrific to have him on there live from Lawton, Oklahoma. Up next, I want to give you an update on Rudy Giuliani and what he's had to do after that defamation suit went a hell of a long way to bankrupting him. And the eco-activists who have been found to be legally rightful In damaging property. You heard right. We'll talk about that right after a quick break on TNT Radio.
0: Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve malzberg This was Simone Sanders back in 2016, November to be precise.
4: In my opinion, we don't need white people leading the Democratic Party right now.
0: This was her last week on her own MSNBC show.
4: Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard a high crime or misdemeanor yet. I, I completely understand.
2: Are you going to let me answer the question, ma'am? I know you're a Democrat operative and you work for a Democrat consulting oh, now, firm. And all be- right,
4: Congressman, let's do it then since we're here. We're out of time, but we're going to do it. Let- I used to, I did used to oh, um, advise, I did used to advise a number of I've also advised some corporations and companies, but here, I'm just here to be an advocate for the viewer. And I will ask you one last time, what is the evidence that the committee has that Joe Biden, while he was president, committed a high crime misdemeanor or treason? Well,
2: you have to ask yourself, ma'am, why does a vice president or a president get $40,000? Do a Chinese communist corporation that's been- All right, well, obviously- with
4: that, thank you all very much, Congressman. It's always a pleasure, but you just can't come on here and
2: lie.
0: Simone Sanders only survived her racist, we don't need white people remark back in 2016 because she's a radical leftist. And she eventually got her own show, and now she's able to tell a white male Republican congressman that he's a liar after she cuts his mic off, only in America. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsburg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT.
2: Potential delays for the
0: morning commute. In other news, a recent government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate malfeasance. Mouth- Freedom of the press is about your right to know. What are you talking about, man? Look at his stats. It's about your right to be informed. Your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation. No, 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 no. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. Between
4: residential areas, by-
0: And your right to know about the world around us. Look. Some threats are obvious, some are easy to miss, but they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against okay. all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you.
1: ...justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question.
0: We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org.
1: You're with Chris Smith
0: on today's News Talk Radio
1: TNT. I want to bring you two stories that involve freedom of speech. And because it's such a huge news day uh, occurring in reference to Eastern Europe, Gaza, etc., you may not catch these stories in the course of the cycle. But the first one comes from New York, Rudy Giuliani, who's always been someone who has espoused free speech, but he's got caught up when his free speech has, of course, topped the law. Well, Rudy Giuliani has now filed for bankruptcy on Thursday, acknowledging severe financial strain exacerbated by his pursuit of former President Donald Trump's lies about the 2020 election and a jury's verdict last week requiring him to pay $148 million to two former Georgia election workers he defamed. Now, the word lies has been placed in this story by AP. I just want to make sure that you know that they aren't my words. His lies have been determined here by AP, the news agency, not me. Now, the former New York City mayor listed nearly $153 million in existing or potential debts, including almost $1 million in state and federal tax liabilities. So he owed the uh, IRS, he's owed them more than $1 million. That's been sitting around, floating around, and no one's heard about it until now. His own lawyer, lawyer's money, uh, many millions of dollars in potential judgments in lawsuits have been found against him, not just the one in question. He estimated he has assets of worth $1 million to $10 million. Giuliani had been teetering on the brink of financial ruin for several years, we're now hearing, but the eye-popping damages award to former election workers Ruby Freeman and Wandria Shea Moss pushed him over the edge, according to AP. The women said Giuliani's targeting of them after Republican Trump narrowly lost Georgia to Democrat Joe Biden led to death threats that made them fear for their lives. Uh, Ted Goodman, a political advisor and spokesperson for Giuliani, said in a statement that Giuliani's decision to seek bankruptcy protection should be a surprise to no one, because no person could have reasonably believed that Mayor Giuliani would be able to pay such a high punitive amount. And let's just ask this question. Does the amount that he's been forced to pay, um, you know, something like $142 million, I think it was, to two people? sorry 148 148 million dollar verdict is that appropriate when you've just defamed two people is not four million dollars okay for defamation I would have thought so more applicable when you think that news stories don't last forever especially when they're in newspapers their next day's fish and chip wrapper as we say in Australia. Like a $148 million verdict this was. Uh, Bankruptcy law doesn't allow for the dissolution of debts that come from a willful and malicious injury inflicted on someone else. A judge said Wednesday that Freeman and Moss could start pursuing payment immediately, saying any delay could give Giuliani time to hide assets. Uh, Their lawyer, Michael Gottlieb said, "This manoeuvre is unsurprising, and it will not succeed in discharging Mr. Giuliani's debt to Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss." So Rudy Giuliani in probably the biggest car car that he's ever been in, uh, and then he's still got charges related to uh, the election claims made over Georgia. That's still to come. That indictment is well and truly over his head, so it's not going to be a great 2024 for Rudy Giuliani. Now, let me take you to Britain. Another story that surfaces here about freedom of speech, but I think the courts have got this wrong. Have a listen. The Attorney General has ordered a review of eco-activist rights to protest after a group of nine were cleared of smashing bank windows. Now, if we all believe, and I hope we all do, all those who are listening right now or viewing this, I hope we all believe that we have the right to protest. You take the right to protest away in any form, you take the right to their democracy and freedom of speech. But is it also in your rights at the time of a protest to damage someone else's property? I don't think it is. And yet this court in the UK has found that it's entirely appropriate. Let me tell you the story. Victoria Prentice has asked Court of Appeal judges to rule on whether eco protesters can use a defense of lawful excuse to cause criminal damage to banks, businesses and private property and avoid conviction at trial. Now, Victoria Prentice is the Attorney General. She is not happy. Neither is the Tory government that this judge decided to green light these protesters damage to private property. It follows the acquittal of Extinction Rebellion protesters who caused £500,000 worth of criminal damage to HSBC's London headquarters. The nine women, all members of Extinction Rebellion, staying as they shattered windows with hammers and chisels at 7am on April 22, 2021. They were cleared after claiming that they honestly believed that the bank whose property they damaged would have consented to it if it had known more about the impact of climate change you call that ex- you call that a reason it's a flimsy excuse that's what it is that's not a reason they would say it's okay to crack our front windows if they knew the extent of climate change and how it's affecting the world bs they would what a cockamamie judgment that is. The review by the Court of Appeal judges will not reverse the acquittals in their case, but if they decide lawful consent is not a legitimate defense, it will mean defendants in similar cases will not in future be able to rely on it to justify any criminal damage. I'm sorry, but the decision is wrong and I'm so glad the Attorney General is looking at it. Can you believe? Can you believe the damage that's close to a, a million Australian dollars? Damage to bank headquarters in the middle of London, and you come up with this excuse that if they knew about the impacts of climate change, they would agree to have the property smashed the way they did? That is madness. That is a court of law that have lost their marbles, similar to the Supreme Court in Colorado. What's wrong, gone wrong with the world right now? Is it December leading up to Christmas, and we've all gone crackers? Get a grip. Next hour on the program, I'll catch up with Shane Healy, the former intelligence officer, to talk a little bit further about what's happening in Gaza. And John Ruddick, the libertarian leader in New South Wales, just back from Argentina, coming up shortly on TNT Radio.